Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Perseus Poku. And as the scripture says, tomorrow is not promised. So we never know when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is going to come back. So it is my uh, desire and request for all Christians to be on guard, to live your life as though Jesus is coming back any minute. We don't know the time, nor do we know the hour. He is coming like a thief in the night, which means that all of us have an obligation to live our lives in accordance to the scriptures and to live our lives in a circumspect way that others may want to know why we do the things we do, why we say the things we say, why we read the things that we read, why we listen to the type of music we listen to, why we uh, minister the way that we minister. Our lives have to be in accordance to the prescription and the rules and the, uh, the guidelines set forth by Jesus himself by the way of the Bible. So on this episode, I wanted for us to continue our discussion on Christian ethics, Christian ethics and Christian ethics, by the way, it's not based on what others are doing. It's based on what people ought to do, not necessarily what, what is being done. There's a lot of things being done and specifically in the name of God, in the name of religion, and in the name of Christianity. But do those things uh, mesh or harmonize with sound doctrine? And that's what we are concerned about, is living our lives, adjusting our lives to follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not a matter of someone just talking or professing righteous words. It's a matter of our words matching up with our deeds. It's a matter of us conforming ourselves to the image of the, of the visible Christ. That is our task as Christians. We have a deontological responsibility to live our lives based on what God's standards are and based on what he wants us to do. It is not enough. As we said in the previous broadcast, this is, it's not enough for us to uh, live our lives uh, based on what God wants to do. In addition to what other humans wants us to do. Our first priority is God alone. So let us review uh, some of the things that we went through on the last broadcast on the last broadcast, we juxtaposed and uh, we attempted to contrast the uh, lifestyle 
or the ethics of non-believers versus the ethics of Christians. The ethics of non-believers in terms of how they think and the rules they use to live their lives versus the ethics of Christians. So the non-Christian view of ethics, we said, uh, started off with uh, might is right. And basically what might is right uh, suggests is that uh, something is right because of the ruling party, because of who's in charge. And we're saying that's inadequate. Uh, just because uh, a particular social group or particular pol political party has uh, the leverage to pass a law, to pass a legislation, doesn't mean what they're passing is necessarily in agreement with God's laws. So as Christians, we have to take a stand, even if the party is the party that you may belong to. If they are advocating something that you know is blatantly contradictory to scripture, you have a deontological responsibility to follow the scriptures, not follow the party. So whenever God's laws conflict with man's laws, you have to go with God's laws. Then the other one says, uh, man is the measure. Man is the measure. Uh, that was uh, proposed by the Greek uh, Protagoras uh, saying that uh, the morally right thing to do is what is morally right to me. So each each person uh, own will is the standard for what is right and wrong. And we're saying that's inadequate as well, because man cannot be his own measure. If man was his own measure, then what makes my professional right and wrong different than the uh, the person whose works are uh, not righteous, the person whose works are deviant. Uh, if, if man is the measure, then we're all uh, we all have the same standard. We, we th th there's no transcendent being for us to report to. So then, my words or my proclamations is no better than another man or another woman's proclamation. Man can never be the measure because man is flawed. Then the next one is similar to uh, the man is the measure rule. And this one says that the human race is the basis of what's right. Mankind is the measure of all things. And again, the same argument we used before, man cannot be the measure because man himself is inadequate. So if we are the measure of what's right and wrong, then the human race is in bad shape. Now, I do realize you have humanists uh, who believe in this argument that humans are the standard by which we conduct ourselves. Uh, some believe in social evolution in the sense that uh, they profess we receive what's right and wrong and what's proper and, and, and uh, what's acceptable through the evolution to uh, the test and trials of the human existence. So basically what they're saying is we learned which acts was right or wrong based on the mistakes we've made since the beginning of civilization, not because there's a transcendent being, not because there's a God, but they profess we learned it by trial and error that some things just don't work. So that's how we got to the point where we know what's right and wrong. And again, it still begs the question, 
where did this sense of right and wrong come from? Who defined it? So if you're defining this as right and wrong as a human and not define it as something else, and they both contradict one another, then who's to say who's right? Then we get in the whole sense of relativity, but this is not the episode for us to talk about relativity. Then the other one, uh, in terms of the world's ethics, uh, preaches that what's right is what brings us pleasure. There's nothing wrong with pleasure in context. This is our argument as Christians in response to that. However, life cannot always be about what brings us pleasure. There are some things about life that brings us pain, but it's for our own benefit. And I use the examples of, uh, of our doctors uh, prescribing us things that we ought to do in order to take care of ourselves. And those things may not bring us pleasure, but we know it's the best thing for us. So life is not always about uh, what the things that we deem as pleasurable. And we talked about the Epicureans and uh, that was one of the things that they were into is to is, is seeking pleasure and avoiding uh, all levels of pain. But that's not reality. Even Jesus says that we must take up our cross and walk. And the cross symbolizes uh, persecution. The cr cross symbolizes the sacrifices we have to make for Jesus, which is not always pleasurable. I'm not talking about joy. I'm talking about uh, our attitude concerning some things. Sometimes um, we don't want to read our Bible, but we know that we should. Sometimes we don't feel like praying, but we know that it's the only way we're going to hear from heaven. Sometimes we, to be honest, sometimes we don't even like ourselves, but that doesn't mean that we ought to give up hope. So not all things in life is pleasurable in terms of uh, what it brings us, but we know that some things have to be done. Or some things have to be acted upon because it's, it's, it's the best thing for us. And I'm sure if when we look at scriptures, if you remember, even Jesus himself, uh, while he was experiencing the hemotidrosis, meaning that when he was experiencing uh, the anguish of the cross and he started sweating blood, uh, that's what hemotidrosis is, uh, he professed. And as he was talking to the father, father, if it be all possible, let this cup pass. But nevertheless, not my will, but let your will be done. Then the next view says that what is right is what is the greatest good for the greatest number of people. Again, let me repeat that. Uh, this philosophy says that what is right is what is the greatest good for the greatest number of people. And we said that Jerry's. Uh, Jeremy Bentham of uh, the 18th and 19th century was a great proponent of this view. And the problem with that again is what if uh, the profession from the majority is unrighteous or inconsistent with God's standard? Let me make it more plain. So if what is right is based on the number of people who profess or who agree with this ideology, then slavery could be justified. But we've learned through American history that slavery was not the best thing because 
while one group of people were profiting, there were another group who were human beings who were equal, who had rights, uh, were being uh, dehumanized, were being treated as animals. Now we look back in retrospect and we say, no, that's not right. But God all along said that we were all made in his image and God never condoned slavery. God uh, does not want us to uh, mistreat any one of his people, even if we don't agree with them. So if what is right is based on what the greatest number of people agree with, then we also then uh, can give justification to uh, the Nazis treatment of the Jews at uh, uh, in the camps. So that this view is flawed as well. Then the next view in terms of worldly ethics says that, uh, and, and we'll wrap up with the worldly view in terms of this one. It says that good is what God wills and it's called ethical voluntarism. So if good is what God wills, then that also uh, includes evil. So in this view, uh, proponents also believe that God will evil, meaning that God uh, uh, condones evil and, and God is responsible for evil. And this episode is not uh, the episode where we're going to deal with the problem of evil. But let me say this. God did not create evil. God created the potential for evil. And really e evil is uh, it is it, a degradation of the good. God created the good. And because free will is involved in God's creation of human beings, that also created the potential for evil to come about and evil to exist. So that also uh, in terms of good is what God wills uh, is not the satisfactory response to our e ethical system. So these are the non-Christian views. Now let's look at the Christian views. Christian ethics is based on God's will. And uh, the will, as we've defined it before, is the inclination by a rational agent toward a desired goal. That's how we define the will. It's an inclination by a rational agent toward a desired goal. So Christian ethic is based on God's will. Uh, God's will himself perfectly. And as a result, uh, we have a finite reflection of who God is. Uh, his ability to, uh, to make decisions without consulting nobody. Uh, uh, the, the ability to choose what's right and wrong. We have a reflection of God's will in us, uh, but in a more finite way. God's will is perfect. Uh, the second view of Christian ethics says that Christian ethics is absolute. It's the moral obligations fl flowing from his nature, and, and those things are absolute. In other words, they are always binding upon uh, everyone everywhere. God's moral character does not change. So if you live in, in either one of the continents, as a Christian, uh, God's rule, God's transcendent uh, stipulations are still binding upon you. 
So it doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter what gender you are. It doesn't matter what culture you belong to. If you are a Christian, the Bible is speaking to you in terms of the standards that we all have. We all have the same standards and uh, uh, the things that God demands of us is uh, is binding upon all people who follow Jesus Christ. So it doesn't matter where in the world you exist as a Christian, the biblical boundaries are binding upon you as well as any other Christians uh, that desire to follow Jesus. Then the third view for Christian ethics says that Christian ethic is based on God's revelation, like Romans 1, 19 through 20 and Romans chapter 2, 14 through 15. And, and God's revelation comes to us in two phases, a general revelation, which all humanity ha uh, have access to, uh, as well as special revelations that only Christians have access to. So uh, Christian ethics uh, come by the way of God's revelation to humanity in terms of what's right and wrong. Uh, you have some non-believers uh, who practice or live their lives according to things that God agrees with. And that's what general revelation does. General revelations gives the non-believers insights uh, to things that uh, God does agree with. However, uh, just because a person lives or conducts themselves in a way that's maybe consistent in a lot of ways to uh, the way Christians live doesn't make them justified. The only way they'll be justified is by accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Now, once that individuals accept Christ as the Lord and Savior and it's immediately indwelt with the Holy Spirit, then they have access to special revelation and special revelations belong to only believers uh, where we get insights, where the Holy Spirit speaks to us concerning matters of our faith, concerning matters of our walk. These things only belong to the Christians. Then the third characteristics uh, or the, the fourth characteristics concerning uh, uh, Christian ethics de uh, deals with our moral rightness. So basically, our moral rightness is prescribed by a moral God and it is prescriptive in nature. Uh, Christians do not find their ethical duties in the standards of Christians, but we do find it in the standards for Christians. So, in other words, our ethical duties do not come from other believers. Our ethical duties come from God. That is the great distinction in terms of Christianity. Uh, we don't have to go through no other human being. We have access to God himself. So, uh, if you have questions regarding your walk, regarding things that you're dealing with, struggling with, direction, uh, then you can go to God himself and God will answer. So our moral rightness comes from God himself. Then the last thing I want to talk about says that our Christian ethic is deontological, meaning that is duty centered. So uh, we uh, have to think about our walk in terms of where our direction is coming from. Uh, does your Direction come from uh, your collegiate institution or is it coming from God? You know, is it coming from uh, your uh, friends, 
that you grew up with or is it coming from God? Is it coming from uh, the things that you read or is it coming from God? Now, those things don't have to be mutually exclusive, but uh, I want you to think about it in terms of priority. Um, if anything we come in contact with conflicts with God's laws, we have a responsibility to go with God's law for God's law for, uh, for the believer and for the Christian trumps all other rules that, that, uh, comes in, that it comes in conflict with. So we have a responsibility as believers to always, uh, contextualize things and make sure that we filter it through the lens of what God is saying through the scriptures. It's very important that we never compromise our belief system in order to appease man. It's very important. I can remember uh, sitting in uh, college classes and uh, hearing professors say things about uh, uh, the the Christian uh, church that was not true. And I had to sit there, even though they have education, even though they have influence, even though uh, they've, they are learned and logical human beings, even though they have all this uh, behind them, I realized that these assertions they were making were incorrect. Why? Because I, I know God for myself. I've read his word and even the things that I didn't fully understand. Uh, uh, I, I knew through faith that God, what God was saying was uh, more uh, influential in my life than what these professors were saying. And the things they were saying were blatantly false. They were basically uh, perpetuating and regurgitating a lot of the attacks on the church that's been used for centuries. So as a Christian, my ethical view, even though I'm in the class as a student, my ethical view is to make sure that I uh, listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and follow him in terms of what he wants me to do. Not to disrupt the class, not to cause chaos, but to listen to the Holy Spirit. And at times the Holy Spirit may say, don't say anything. And at times the Holy Spirit may say, this is a proper time to speak. And then the Holy Spirit may say, uh, schedule office hours and talk to the teacher. But remember why you're there. Uh, you're there uh, to uh, get some information and not all the information you have to agree with. They just want to make sure that you understand where they're coming from. So in all aspect of our lives, it's very important that we uh, stand up for what we believe in that we know number one what we believe in as Christians that we don't compromise we have too many homes falling we have too many children going by the wayside but if we if if we practice our Christian ethics the way we're supposed to then God will get the glory and we all will be better as a universal church so this concludes this episode of sound reasoning and we'll talk about more uh, Christian ethics on our next episode. May you have a blessed day. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. 
Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy messages has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org. Hello, my name is Adam Comer. And I'm Ryan Chittister. And we're the host of Life After Addiction Podcast. If you or someone you love struggles with addiction, check us out, Life After Addiction Podcast, and you can subscribe at lifeaudio.com.